Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I am friends with two guys that I first met when I was in fifth grade. Uh, We had moved to St. Louis, and I met these two guys. Interestingly enough, both of them are actors. One of them lives in uh, Los Angeles, and one of them lives in Philadelphia. Interestingly as well is that we have very little in common other than some kind of warm memories of uh, growing up with the St. Louis Cardinal baseball team and baseball itself. That seems to be what we have in common. Now, when I say I'm friends with them, I'm Facebook friends with them. If they were here in this town, I I don't know how much contact, really, we would have. Uh, There are some 600 million people on Facebook. And uh, the estimation is that uh, on average, people check it twice a day. Now, I'm sure there are those that check it many more times than that, and then those of us that don't check it quite so often. By the way, uh, a lot of you are my friends on Facebook, and uh, I will just tell you this, my own personal policy, um, I don't ask teenagers or females to be my friends on Facebook, but if you're a part of this church and you're a teenager or a female and you ask me, I'd be happy to be your friend on Facebook. (laughs) I just think it's kind of weird, you know, if the pastor was, uh, anyway. um. (laughs) So I put that into place. And and the other thing is... uh, I would just ask you, if you are going to try to be my friend on Facebook, don't request it during this service, please. That's... (laughs) I've actually had two requests during the Sunday school hour uh, from some good teenage friends, and I I thought that was interesting that I would receive those during the Sunday school hour. Uh, Facebook, you know, and, and other other social network have, in, in a sense, for many, has, has changed things in terms of the definition of friendship and friends. I told you this story several years ago about uh, the article in the New York Times Magazine by Hal Vecchi, and he was reflecting on his uh, uh, new, at that time, Facebook experience. He was he, he said inordinately, uh, absurdly proud of how many uh, cyber pals he had. Uh, he, at the time, had some 700 friends online. But he also realized that because of his job and uh, his family and, he said, and just the fact that I like to be alone a lot... He said, I didn't have a a lot of face-to-face friends. And so he decided 
to make some of those Facebook friends his face-to-face friends. And so he sent out to all 700 and something friends uh, an invitation. They were going to have a get-together, a, a party. And this was going to be at a, a local pub in uh, uh, New York City. And uh, those of you that are on Facebook, you know that you can reply whether you plan to come or not. And uh, there's three options, attending, maybe attending, or not attending. He said out of the 715 said they would be there. 60 said they might be there. And, and so he was uh, guessing somewhere around 20 would show up. So he was pretty excited about that. And he went to the pub that night, and he sat and he waited. And eventually, one woman showed up, and it was one of those Facebook friends that he had never really met in person, so it was a little awkward. And he said they made small talk for a few minutes, and then she left, and he waited until midnight, and no one else showed up. He ends his article by saying... 700 friends, and I was drinking alone. It has, in our day, that along with many other factors, changed how people look at relationship and friends. I want you to listen to the preacher, listen to Solomon what he has to say in Ecclesiastes 4 about the same subject. He's got a different view. We're going to pick up with verse 7 of chapter 4. It says, Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches." so that he uh, never asked, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for you seeing fit to give your perspective through your word, will you open our hearts and minds to your teaching? May your spirit work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 700 friends and I was drinking alone. that might capsulize the dilemma. The way Solomon put it, as he said as again, I saw vanity under the sun. Verse 7, verse 8, one person who has no other, either son 
or brother. There's an aloneness. And even though Solomon talked about it so long ago, I don't know, I can't answer this definitively, but I don't know if there has been a time where there has been more aloneness. I know that uh, every generation struggles with it in various ways. But if you think about how you grew up, those of you that are grown up, and how things are now, how different a world we tend to live in. We've moved from front porches to back decks and patios, from people dropping in to always making an appointment, from town squares, post offices, cafes where people met up, to shopping centers, malls, and anonymity. Now, I have to admit, I'm the same way. I've fallen into that trap. This week, and this was before I started this, I said to my wife, Connie, about our back patio, I said, you know, I like how our uh, uh, tree has grown up there and the bush has grown up on this side so none of those neighbors can see us on the patio. (laughs) Not that anything goes on on our patio that they shouldn't see. but I feel so exposed from the other way. Isn't that interesting? We have moved in that direction. I've seen a a great deal of change in the last 30 years uh, since I was ordained. There was a day when the pastor could come and drop in at your house, and uh, though there might be a little bit of scrambling, you know, to get the family Bible out and open and... (laughs) that kind of thing, he would have been welcomed in, and if the coffee pot wasn't already on, it would have been put on. And now, I wouldn't think of doing that to you, because we, we have gone far in that direction, even with our shut-ins. Typically, Pastor Pointer or I will call first even for those that are shut in and just waiting for a visit. And that's the direction we've gone. Ralph Keyes in his uh, book, We We the Lonely People, wrote, Above all else, we Americans value mobility, convenience, and privacy. Of these, privacy is our most cherished value. And it it, it has given us that separation. Now, The preacher here goes on and talks about the vicious cycle, the second part of verse 8. Yet there is no end to all his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Uh, Back in uh, the 80s, a, a term was coined, dinks. Some of you remember that. Double income or dual income, no kids. And it was, it was at the height of uh, the, the yuppies, the upwardly mobile people. And uh, what, what happened, though, I mean, that doesn't sound that strange anymore because sociologists are saying that, that it has almost become institutionalized 
with uh, economic crises in the 2000s, that that's almost expected. And what, what happened with that was that the job was everything. Double income. The job became substituted for relationships. Sometimes different uh, the, the spouses worked in different cities even. Things were substituted for relationship, and they became the goal. It was the ultimate of the Ebenezer Scrooge winding up without because of what you've sought. Now, he goes on and talks about why we need others. Verse 9. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. Good return. Um, Some of you remember when if you went and got a Coke, it was in a glass bottle, and you would put down a deposit. Remember that? And then you would take the Coke bottle back, and you'd get your deposit, or you'd get more Coke and that kind of thing. And then what happened next? No deposit, no return. We'd really progressed. Well, that's what he's talking about here in terms of reward. But the problem is, if there is not, that reward could be translated return. If there's not a deposit, if there's not a putting in to friendships and relationships, there will not be that reward or that return. If you haven't drawn others into your life, you can't blame them if they're not there when troubles come into your life. So there's good reward for interdependence. What is it? He lists three things. Uh, Verse 10, help when needed. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. That word woe there is the Hebrew word that means a a howling or a wailing. It's serious for one to be by themselves. So let's say you're you're on a hike. You're out in the middle of nowhere, like four miles from McDonald's or something. You're way out there. And you're, you know, it doesn't matter if you fall once in a while, but this time you fall and you shatter your leg and you're by yourself. You're to be pitied. And that's his emphasis. Woe to him. If you've put yourself in that position, because you can't, control what's going on around you. And if you put yourself in that position, there will come a time when you're to be pitied and when there is woe upon you. The help will not be there when needed. And verse 11, encouragement when we're vulnerable. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now, there's a literal picture there, but it goes much deeper. Again, when we can't change the elements, when we're exposed, unguarded, vulnerable, need encouragement that we just can't conjure up within ourselves. Now, there's times you may feel 
self-conscious or exposed. And you don't necessarily want to stand out. Maybe your first day at a new school. Maybe your first visit to a church. First day on a job. I told you last week that I had worked for uh, Farmers Home Administration for seven years uh, when I was going through college and seminary. And I ended up in the warehouse, but my first three months there, I started out as a file clerk. Now, I walked in the first day of that summer job that became a seven-year job into the file section of a federal building. And when I walked in, it was me, a teenage guy just out of high school, and about 25 women. It was awkward, I have to say. I wasn't that great at that job. I was much better at the warehousing ever than file clerking. But I was there for a while, and, and eventually I saw another guy working in the same section, and he perked up about as much as I did when, when I saw him. And so at lunchtime we talked, and we became friends. Now, i got to tell you this, though. He was one of the most godless people, most moral-free people that I have ever been around. But we were an encouragement to each other just because we were facing the same thing at the same time. There is encouragement from others. Another positive Return or reward is uh, protection, verse 12. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Now, in one sense, that's an easy illustration to understand. You ladies, I know that there are places that you would not feel comfortable going by yourself. You would feel more comfortable uh, with a spouse or with a friend and that's only appropriate. You, you get it. You understand that. But some of you may be saying, well, I, I, don't, I don't think I need protection otherwise than that. Oswald Chambers said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. In other words, if you think you've got a, a strength and so you leave that unguarded, that's probably where you will be attacked. I've come to realize that more and more over the years in ministry, all of our need for protection, the best protection is accountability. In a previous church that I served, I had two elders that worked with each other. One was the boss and another uh, worked for him. And they traveled together They ate together. They worked together. Sometimes they would share a hotel room together on the road. One of the elders who had earlier in his life been an alcoholic, one time during a session meeting in the middle of our prayer, confessed that he had gone back to his drunkenness. The other one didn't even know that. He was around him all the time. 
not long before that, I had gotten a call from the other elder's wife. She said, Jack just came home and, and he fell on his knees and he's sobbing and I can't get anything out of him. I don't know what's wrong. I said, I'll be right there. I, I went to their house and after a while, after he calmed down, he unfolded uh, all of the frustrations and things that he was going through that he couldn't even talk about. And this other elder that had traveled with him didn't even know about. You can be around each other and not ask the questions that need to be asked. And they didn't ask the hard questions of each other. But you know what? I'm not blaming them because I didn't ask these friends of mine those questions either. With one, I played golf. With another, I had been hunting a number of times. And I didn't know that was going on in their lives. We need one another for protection. Now, what, what about the above-the-sun perspective? I mean, here we have a right perspective on relationship. We, we can't always say that in the book of Ecclesiastes. Sometimes all he does is talk about the frustration, but he gives, in a sense, a formula. But what does the Lord Jesus say about that? What does the New Testament say? As we, we talk about life under the sun, what's the above-the-sun perspective? The last part of verse 12. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. A threefold cord. He'd been talking about two, and now he talks about three. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, he didn't send them out by themselves. I want you to go together. In that there was encouragement and help and protection and more wisdom. But then there's other places in the, in the New Testament where that's all increased. In Matthew 18, where it talks about discipline and accountability and care. It says you go and then if you, if you can't get through to somebody, you take somebody with you. And all of a sudden, that, there's three there. And then if that doesn't work, you, you share it with the church. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. A court of two or a court of three. Later in that same passage, Matthew 18, Jesus says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And then other places, it's increased even more in Acts chapter 2. All who believe were together and had things in common. See, there was a, a coming together, not a splitting apart when people came to Christ. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Because they were together, 
one that had need was taken care of. If they had been split apart, it wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have known about it. But they knew one another. There is a need. A need for the church. A need for fellowship. And I've got to tell you, you you need to decide that now. You can't wait until... The trial comes like we have sung about in several songs today. You can't wait until that time and say, do I need the church or not? Don't do that. Because the temptation at that moment typically is to pull away. To either want to handle it yourself or to be embarrassed or to pull back. And it's not what's best. It's worse. Maybe a lot of you grilled on Monday, if you did. You know that old illustration of the coal that falls away from all of the the hot coals. When it falls away, it begins to get cold. And it'll go out if you don't put it back with the heat of the others. And that's the way the church works as well. Back to the threefold cord. It would be easy to spiritualize this and say that third strand is Christ. But that wouldn't be good exegesis. I can't say that that was a prophecy of Christ or that Solomon even had Christ in his mind when he said that. But we are on the other side of the cross. And so it would be wrong for us not to think in those terms. Who is that third strand? The Lord Jesus. And why? Why should we consider that? Well, in a sense, that's the ultimate application. You need to know this, as important as friends are, and everything here in Ecclesiastes is right. All of those returns are important, but as important as that is, if you invest, if you deposit into friendships, at some point you will be let down. You will be vulnerable, and at some point you will be hurt. except for one. There is one friend where that will never happen. I will never, no, never, no, never forsake you to the end. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer will I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. You need one another. But even more than that, you need the Lord Jesus. The friend that never fails.
Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we know that there is nothing that would cause you to forsake your children. How precious that is to us. But we thank you for the body of Christ, for people we know who have loved us. And Lord, will you help us to open up to one another, to ask the important questions of one another, to build those relationships for when that time comes when we need to be lifted up by another. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.